to have you here today. And if you're uh, visiting today, we want to welcome you to Portico. And those that are joining us in the chapel and over in our video cafe venue, we welcome you as well. And if you're visiting today, we're one church, one message, many expressions. So we have a Milton campus, we have our Mississauga campus, we have venues that are taking place concurrently right now. We're connected in by way of video. And uh, if you ever want to have a chance to try it out, drop in our, our gym. That's where our video cafe is and across the hall in our chapel. That's where the other venue is meeting right now, and they've just joined in, and it's great to have everybody here. And if you happen to be just in town because it's Christmas time, we do trust and pray that you have an incredible, incredible Christmas celebration and that you feel right at home. You know what's great about this morning? It's a rhetorical. That, thank you. Yeah, what's great about this morning? This is our family service day. That means our kids are in the room with us, and there's good news for those of you who don't have kids. Because parents, typically when they bring the kids in the room, they bring juice boxes, cookies, crackers, anything to keep them quiet. So if you barter with the parents, you actually could get a free meal out of this service today. So I'm just saying. Now, the activity books are for the kids. You cannot take those. But the rest, that's wide open territory. Well, we've been busy here. This last week we had some great things that were taking place around the church. And just I'll give you a little snapshot over our One Hope Dawning weekend. First off, I just think we should give a big appreciation to Pastor Dwayne, Janet, the arts team, the tech team, the serve team, the hospitality team. Could you put your hands together and say thank you for everybody that served? If... Uh, we just we had a we had a, an amazing weekend. My moment. Let me share you my moment. You know when you have one of those moments in a in a weekend where you're sharing together. Uh, for those of you that were here for Sunday night, we had our mayor, our newly appointed mayor, our newly elected mayor, Bonnie Crombie, was here along with her husband Brian, and uh, they were coming in and they had another activity to go to later that night, as often the case for a lot of our officials, and they wanted to at least drop in and say hi and bring greetings. And we were seated together in the front row, and we were just talking a little bit, and our choir kicked in in that first song, and there was an audible gasp from next to me. They were blown away by the quality. And then she just turned, Bonnie turned to my wife, Laura, and just said, they're amazing. They're like professionals. And as we got into a couple of songs in, this is in-house now, we were a couple of songs in, and Brian turns to Bonnie and goes, please, could we just stay? We don't need to go to the other event. I said, that's when you know you're knocking it out of the park, isn't it? That's great. And I know you're going to feel that way about coming to church all the time at Portico. All right, there you go. The other thing I want to just tell you, uh, thank you, all of you that brought food and you donated and you supported and you packed. We had the, the Mississauga Food Bank came in. They picked up all the food from Wednesday night. They calculated that the weight, the tonnage that went out of here, the weight of it would serve over 3,000, almost 3,400 meals are going to be served this Christmas season because of what you did and how you gave. And that's not to mention uh, early calculations. We've raised over $18,000 for durable housing in northern Iraq. Way to go. Like just amazing gifts. So really, really good year. We'll, we'll give you updates, but I want to share a little bit of that with you. Grab your Bibles. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 1. If you need to borrow a Bible, raise your hands real, real high. And uh, our ushers are making their way into the different rooms and venues. If you keep your hand up, you can borrow a Bible for the service and leave it on the chair when you're done. If you have your electronic devices, go to uversion.com. You can look up Mississauga Live Events. You're going to find Portico right there, and you can follow along in the reading, and you can take notes that way as well. Today we're in a series, and we have been in our series, called Ordinary People on a Quest of Faith. It's entitled The Journey. 
And the journey has been our opportunity to look at a different cast of characters through the Old Testament leading into the New Testament where we look at the stories of people who our lives parallel, but there's so much we can learn from the principles that they lived through. And in the Christmas story, we're actually going to look at the life of one of the individuals that we often don't think about because we tend to sort of sentiment, the sentimentality or the clamor that we associate uh, just overshadows maybe some of the real experience that they went through. So today I want us to be able to look at that because there's some principles we can glean together. This particular individual, Joseph, he faced a situation that was just filled with immense uncertainty. He had no idea, no idea what was about to be unfolded in his life and how he was going to deal with it. Now, because we read 2,000 years ago, we see all the rollout. And so we assume, well, that wasn't that big of a deal. But I want us to go back and look for a brief moment what happens when you're faced with uncertainty and you don't know the outcome, and it surprises you. Now, to help us get there, Jimmy Kimmel, some of you will know who he is, he sent out a little challenge to parents, and he said, hey, parents, let's pull a prank on kids. Give them an early Christmas gift but make it a terrible gift and videotape that moment and send it to me. And let's catch the surprise and the uncertainty that takes place. Watch the screen. Last week, uh, I issued a challenge. I asked the parents of America to pull a little holiday trick on their children. We did this on Halloween with candy and got a lot of response to it. So we did it again, this time for Christmas. I asked parents to tell their kids they were going to let them open one present a few weeks early. But instead of a good present, I said... Put something the kids won't like in the box and then upload a video of that to YouTube labeled, Hey Jimmy Kimmel, I gave my kids a terrible present. And a lot of people did do this and um, they did give their kids terrible presents. And a lot of the kids surprisingly reacted poorly to that. What's your. What's your. Yes, Charlie? I don't like this. Oh. What is it? An old banana. An old banana? Isn't that exciting? What are you doing? Pushing that. Okay. Wow. A battery and an onion. What's wrong? I don't want an onion. Did you smell your onion? Here, smell it. What do you tell me all the time about my cooking? I love it. You love my cooking, so I made you something. Oh, 
So you don't want that peanut butter and jelly sandwich? Anything. He's fired. He's done. <laughs> He'll have no credibility anymore. Oh, I love that. Unexpected moments. And I like that little girl. Mom, I love your cooking when you cook. Hot pockets, buffalo wings. Not really the cooking kind of thing I was thinking about there, but the reaction that comes when you get an unexpected gift is not so much a gift. So why do we raise that? Because, you know, when we look at Matthew chapter 1, and we're going to look at Joseph. We'll often go back and read the story, and you're going to about, we're going to read the story together this morning. You're going to read the story, and we're going to dress it in the veneer that comes with a Christmas pageant. A meek and mild man who willingly agrees to become the husband and the father and raise Jesus as his child. But we remove the reality of what this man had to go through. It's so endearing to us when we tell it today that it's stripped of the raw emotion, the tension, and the uncertainty that Joseph had to deal with. And what Joseph faced actually reveals some powerful life principles that if we learn them, every one of us, when we face our moments of uncertainty, we can actually take the biblical principles and apply them to our story. So I want you to go over to Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. And as I read... And as you follow along this morning, I want you to read and listen to the story and embrace it through the lens of Joseph in real life, not in a contemporary point of reference, but a first century Palestine carpenter, a man who was excited about the possibility of spending his life with the woman that he loved, not knowing the news that he was about to hear. Think about Joseph as we read this story. So this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. And because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what's conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. So let's pause for a moment. And let me ask you a question. Did you catch Joseph in real life? Did you get the moment of uncertainty where everything that he's been dreaming about for his future implodes with one statement? Joseph, I'm pregnant. See, those are not the words that Joseph had anticipated when they would have that conversation that day. They were not the words that would forecast an incredible future where God would say, Emmanuel, God with us, and the hope of all people and all nations would rest in the name of Jesus. For Joseph, the only thing that he would hear in that moment is, you've been unfaithful to me. And he had to reconcile and wrestle with that. And the uncertainty of why Mary would do that 
to him. Now, I don't know that any of us can relate to Joseph, truthfully. I don't know that there's a man in the room listening to me or listening to me by way of audio that has ever had a fiancé claim to be pregnant through immaculate conception. If you have, we should have a counseling appointment together. I don't think there's any woman who's ever been pregnant, has children, or will be pregnant that is ever going to ask God to take a paternity test. But for Joseph, when Mary makes this declaration, they didn't have the story in front of them. They only had the moment the conversation was being unfolded. And for him to hear the words from his wife, his future wife, I'm pregnant, would have raised all the emotions that we would experience when we face uncertainty. For Joseph, it was steeped in immense challenge, crushed dreams, an unfaithful fiancé, public embarrassment. She cheated on him. Every time he would walk through the marketplace, people would whisper, that's Joseph. You know Mary the one who was unfaithful to him. That's Joseph. The prospect of pretending to be a a father who will embrace the child that's not his own, raise him should he choose to do that, and then wonder every time he goes to a place of business, every time he goes to the synagogue, every time they travel, I wonder if that man is the father. I wonder if that man is the father. I wonder if that man is the father. He didn't have the, he didn't have the resources that Mary had. He didn't have the understanding that the angel had brought to Mary. And so all he could contemplate now is, do I pursue a divorce? How do you respond to this moment right here? And I can assure you, it's not the way we show him in the pageant. How does a God-fearing, hard-working, respectable carpenter living in first-century Roman-occupied Palestine, hoping to live, raise a family, and have a good life, how do you handle the moment when your fiancé says, I cheated on you? Well, what he does in this moment is so powerful, I want to share a few principles with all of us so that we can take it away because you're going to face your moment of uncertainty, and I will too. I think this is where the Bible separates reality from the fiction and fantasy that we infuse into the story. It's where Joseph, just an ordinary man on a quest of faith, is going to have to determine what his future is going to look like and how he responds is worthy of our attention. And we're going to face it. We're going to face the betrayal of confidentiality, the wounds of a close friend, And the question of, how could you do that to me? And when we're wrestling with uncertainty, we're going to think back to this moment right here. Or maybe it's a spouse or a parent who's lost a job, and you've lost multiple jobs. And you're never able to hold the job down in your family, and your spouse begins to wonder, what's wrong with you? Why can't you just earn a stable income, get a good job like everybody else? And the uncertainty fills your world. Or the person that you love, that you are sure you're sure they have finally cleaned up their life and they've broken off their addictive patterns and they've left their substance abuse alone and everything in you is screaming, I hope this time it's over. And then they confess to you that they're back into their old patterns again and uncertainty fills your world. Or maybe it's the confession and disclosure of adultery or sexual infidelity. See, our our worlds are bombarded every day and we get surprised by uncertainty. And how do you respond? Well, here's what I want to share with you. I want you to see what Joseph did. And if you have your notes out, let's look at what he did and learn from it. So the first thing I want you to write down is when you're facing uncertainty in your life, guard your integrity. Guard your integrity. Joseph, when he faced this moment, what transpired between the two of them was never part of his plan. It was never a calculated conversation that they ever should have had together. It was way outside the scope of his dream and all of his anticipation. 
In fact, how do you even begin to filter through what they must have shared together? When she informs, Mary informs Joseph, I'm pregnant, think of it this way. For Joseph, her words wouldn't have been information. They would have come in the form of a confession. She wasn't informing him of something great. He didn't know it that way yet. This was a confession. And in his mind, he's got to interpret it this way. My fiancé, the one that I love, the one that I've already pledged my life to, has been unfaithful to me. What am I going to do with that? And when I look at his response, he guarded his integrity. He would have had all the normal emotions erupt. There would have been shock and disbelief, and there would have been anger. There could have been contempt. There could have been bitterness. Relational trust is now bankrupt. He's probably thinking in his mind, if I can't trust you here, why would I build a life with you? How can I trust you in the future? And it's in these moments of heightened emotional turmoil and uncertainty that we learn something, and I want you to write this down. How you react is as equally important as how you respond when you face uncertainty. How you react is as equally important as how you respond. See, the normal thing when we react, we tend to leap to conclusions And all of our emotions pour out to the very front edge because of whether it's mistrust or anger or disappointment. And we don't control that part and we just throw that onto the other person. But in Joseph's world here, we see something different. We see a man who guards his integrity. Look at Matthew chapter 1 verse 19 in your notes. The Bible tells us that Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law. There's a little insight and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, and he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Let me talk to you about his reaction first. He didn't overreact. He didn't intensify what was an already extremely difficult situation. He didn't shame Mary and force her into a feeling of extreme disappointment where he imposes now all of his concern and cares into her world. Now, we don't have the full story here, granted. But we have enough of a snapshot to see that this was a guy who lived his life with incredible integrity. And when faced with this challenge, he responds appropriately. He reacted appropriately. Now watch his response. The Bible says this, that he was faithful to the law. He was a righteous man. He was a good man. He was a respectful man. And he decided that he would divorce Mary quietly. He wasn't going to expose her to any unnecessary humiliation or public embarrassment. He wanted to do what was right not what was personally satisfying. Now catch that. When he responded to Mary, he wanted to do what was right, not what was personally satisfying. See, when we face situations of uncertainty where somebody else hurts us, we often want to respond in a way that becomes personally satisfying, even at the expense of the other person. And Joseph's response is he loved Mary, and he was going to minimize whatever shame and embarrassment and misunderstanding was going to take place, in his mind, he was going to allow his integrity to guard how he responded to that circumstance. And that is a powerful principle for all of us because we'll all face those moments where we're going to go, what do I do right now? And how we react and how we respond has to be tempered by our integrity. Psalm 25, 21, it says this, May integrity and uprightness protect me because my hope, Lord, is in you. In fact, it would be Solomon who would capture the words in, uh, in the Song of Solomon. Proverbs, he'd write this. He'd say, above all else, Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart, for everything else flows from it. Everything you do flows from it. Every thought, every action, every reaction, and every response flows from our hearts. So guard 
your heart. Great, great principle from Joseph. Here's the second thing I want you to pick up. Not only did he guard his integrity, but when you're facing a moment of uncertainty, exercise your faith. Exercise your faith. Now, let me explain what I mean by this. You know, we tend to make our decisions first, and then we pray and we ask God to back up our plans. You follow me so far? So we like, we like to make our decisions, and then when our decisions get us sort of into some hot water, then we pray about it, and we go, God, could you rescue me? Anybody done that besides me? All right, good to know. Let me illustrate, just in case you're not with me yet. So we go out, we decide we're going to buy a house, and we find a really, really nice house that we want to buy. Then we go get the mortgage that, you know, we maximize, we get the mortgage that we can have. And then we get into the house, and we're going along, and we realize, man, it's really hard to pay for the house. Anybody notice that? Hard to make a mortgage payment? And as you're making your mortgage payment, you don't seem to have enough money to do all the other things that you want to do. So what do we do? We begin to pray to God. We go, God, I really need you to help me with my finances here. Because I, I want to make my mortgage payment, but I can't seem to make my mortgage payment. See, we got ourselves into some hot water here because we didn't pray in the beginning and go, you know, God, give me some wisdom and insight about how much I should spend. We tend to make our decisions first, get ourselves into our circumstances, and then we pray for God to come and rescue us. God becomes our 911 call. Can you get me out of this? Or when it comes to our education, I've actually interviewed and I've counseled people who get into their educational career paths, whether by their choice or by their parents' choice. They get 10, 15, 20 years into their path, and all of a sudden they reach a point where they go, I don't enjoy doing what I do. I don't feel like I'm gifted to do what I do. I don't even feel like I'm wired up. I'm in a dead-end job. And you're talking to them, and you go, well, when you started this out, did you pray about this? No. I went to school. I chose my university, you know, talked to my parents, considered my, and I chose my career path. So we get ourselves into difficult circumstances because we make a decision, we enact that decision, and then we pray when it's not working out. Follow me so far? All right, now we're tracking. Here, let me help all of you that are married. We date. We fall in love. It's a good time to say yes, particularly if you're married to the one you fell in love with. We date. We fall in love. We get engaged. We ask that person if they will marry us, and she or he smiles back at us and says, of course I'll marry you. And then we stand it together and we perform a ceremony and a pastor officiates for us and we say, until death do us part. And we dream that'll never come. It's going to be such a beautiful, joyful ride. And three years later, we're praying to God, God, would you enact till death do us part now? Get me out of this thing because it's not what I expected. Not my marriage. I want to be clear about that. Christmas is coming. But that's what we do. We make the, and every day we make just thousands of decisions. And some are very rote and ordinary common sense applies, right? It's not, I'm, asking, I'm not asking you to pray about some of those common sense decisions. If, a car, if the needle in your gas gauge in your car is empty, that's a no-brainer. Fill up the gas tank. If your power bill came to your house, your electric bill, pay your bill. That's what you're called to do. But the bigger decisions in life are those decisions where we need to learn to exercise our faith we don't make our decisions first, step into the action, and then pray for God to come and rescue us. But so often, that's exactly what happens. Now, I'm going to show you something. Now, this is me looking at the story. I love Joseph because I feel like I can relate to this guy. Because he did what I would have done in those circumstances. And what he did is not what I'm asking you to do. Did you catch me? He did what I would have done and what he did is not what I'm going to ask you to do. And I want you to see very, very carefully how this plays out. I want you to look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 20 in your notes. 
It said, after Joseph had considered all of this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. I'm going to stop there. I want to leave that verse up just for a quick moment. Look at that first statement. But after he had considered all of this. All right. So let's stop. Joseph, the Bible tells us Joseph was a righteous man. And he wasn't about to embarrass or publicly humiliate Mary. So he goes, what's the best information available to me? I know what the law asks me to do. I know what a respectful, dignified person would choose to do. I know what the outcome of this is going to look like. And I know that a divorce is an acceptable opportunity for me to choose in this situation. So after he considers all that he can do, he chooses I'm just going to divorce her quietly. Joseph did exactly what I would have done. Joseph calculated the information available to him, gathered it together, assessed what he should do, and then chose a course of action that seemed to make the most sense. But here's what I'm asking you to do, and I'm learning how to do better. I'm asking you to exercise your faith first. Pray before you make your decisions. God chose to send an angel into the story to interrupt Joseph's plan. And because an angel interrupts the story, we have a favorable outcome. How many of you have ever had an angel come into your story besides your wife? Oh, we have a couple. That's good. Most of us are not going to experience what God did in this moment right here because God is going to ask us to exercise our faith before we make our decisions. Choose to pray about what your future decisions are going to look like. Joseph is in this situation. It says the angel of the Lord appears to him and says, Joseph, don't be afraid. Why would he say that? Why would the angel say that to Joseph? A couple of things came to my mind. Maybe he's afraid of the uncertainty involved in trusting Mary in the future. Maybe he's afraid of public opinion and humiliation. Maybe he's afraid of losing his Judean dream, you know, the beautiful house in a Judean suburb, a wife, some kids, and a couple of donkeys in the driveway. I don't know. could have been any of those things that he was afraid of. Or maybe he's just afraid that his whole life, the whole dream is shattered. But all I know is that God stepped into the story and took all of the information that Joseph had gathered and said, all your best understanding, I want you to choose to trust me beyond that, that there's another part. I need you to exercise your faith. Joseph hadn't connected the dots. In fact, truth of the matter is, we see them because we look backwards. Joseph hasn't seen them yet. He hadn't connected the dot of the prophecy of Isaiah 7:14, where it says this, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. There's no way he had taken that dot and applied it to his story and thought, could it be that Mary is the fulfillment of that prophecy? That wasn't a dot to connect. He hadn't connected the dot about Zechariah and Elizabeth and this spectacular pregnancy and this newborn child, little strange boy, ate a lot of locusts and honey, you know, kind of a different kid. But anyhow, he hadn't connected the dot that maybe that child is connected to this story and that that child would be the forerunner of a man called Jesus who would save the people from their sin. He hadn't connected the dot that there were magi who were looking at the celestial signs and recognized that something unusual was unfolding in human history and they would pursue the celestial sign to find out what's taking place over in this land of Judea. That wasn't a dot for Joseph to connect. 
And he certainly hadn't connected the dot that Caesar Augustus, when he issued this decree that there should be a census taken of the entire Roman world, why would Joseph think that that declaration would have anything to do with his story and Mary? He hadn't connected the dots. I would venture to say that for every one of us here, in our moments of uncertainty, it is impossible for us to connect all the dots that God is working on behind the scene of our life. We live in the moment with the tension, and we have to answer the uncertainty. And like Joseph, there's no way possible for us to see all these dots and how God is going to bring this whole story together. And so God asks us to do something. Exercise your faith pray and invite me into the story. Pray and ask me what your next step is going to do. So often, we just leave it up to our best possible gleaned information, and we never really pray about it. So with Joseph, I wonder, once he realized how all these different dots connected, I wonder once he realized, oh, that's what God was doing with Isaiah. That's what God was doing with Zechariah and Elizabeth. That's what God was doing with the Magi. Once all of this had been connected together, have you ever thought about this scenario? What was it like for Joseph to actually be the earthly father of Jesus and raise Jesus and pour his life principles into this young boy? Got me thinking. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane facing the cross, and in that moment of prayer, when he was on his knees and just tortured by the prospect of what was about to take place. And he prays, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Praying to his heavenly Father, I wonder of what strengthened him in that moment to say, not my will, but your will be done, was the fact that his earthly father, Joseph, helped him learn that you will not always be able to connect the dots You'll not always be able to answer the uncertainty, but you can trust your heavenly Father. And I wonder how many times the conversation maybe come up where Joseph said, Hey, Jesus, did I ever tell you about the day that you were born? Did I ever tell you about what I learned and how I almost divorced your mom? Powerful principles. And in there somewhere, I, I have to believe that Jesus, or Joseph probably told Jesus, there's power when you exercise your faith and you choose to trust your Heavenly Father. A great insight. Look at Philippians 2 in your notes. Faith inspires us to take risks. Here it is. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and act according to His purpose or to fulfill His good purpose in our lives. Proverbs 16, verse 4, it says, The Lord works out everything to its proper end. So let me challenge you this morning. I don't know your story. I don't know what your journey looks like, but all I know is that we are all ordinary people on a quest of faith. And if you can't connect the dots and the moment of uncertainty is overwhelming you with pressure, then take a moment and invite God into your story, into your journey, before you make your decisions. Because that's where faith and trust come together. All right, go back to your notes. One more thing I want to share with you from Joseph. Not only did he guard his integrity, not only did he exercise faith, but finally here, walk in obedience. Walk in obedience. It's probably the most powerful statement that makes, that's made in this uh, narrative that we read this morning. Look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 24. It says this, When Joseph woke up from his dream, he did what the angel of the Lord 
commanded him to do, and he took Mary home to be his wife. I love that. When he woke up, he did what he was commanded to do. He didn't call and book an appointment with a dream therapist to interpret the dream to find out, you know, what possibly could this mean for my future? He didn't call his doctor and ask if he could get some kind of medication to help him with stress fatigue syndrome because I'm having these weird dreams now and angels are showing up. He woke up and he obeyed the voice of God. He trusted what God revealed to him in his dream that God would fulfill for his purpose. And that for us is an important step, that when God speaks into our world, that we trust and obey what God calls us to do. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight, or he'll guide you. Joseph immediately acted on obedience to what God asked him to do. Now remember, and we've shared this before, delayed obedience is disobedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. When God gives direction, God expects us to obey immediately, to follow through. And if we delay, the consequences could be incredibly disastrous. Think about Joseph's life. If he had not obeyed, in fact, there's a point in Matthew chapter 2, verse 13, you can write it into your notes, when the Magi had actually come and visited them, and they'd seen the birth of Christ, there was a point where an angel appears to Joseph and says, you need to leave because Herod is about to unleash unbelievable cruelty and evil on the children in this area. Imagine if Joseph had said, well, you know, we're kind of settled here right now, and Mary's got a brand new child, and I don't really want to move on. He didn't delay in his obedience. He immediately left that area, and Herod sent his men in and executed the children, the boys, two years and under. And then later, when they're in Egypt, living in safety from all of that evil assault, Matthew chapter 2, verse 19, it says, After Herod died, an angel appeared in a dream to Joseph and said, Joseph, go back to the land of Judea. And he obeyed. And so, and so the fulfillment of the full promise that Jesus would be raised in Nazareth, that hope would come to the land of Judea, and that salvation would come to all mankind because of Joseph's obedience. This was a man who knew what it was to have a life of integrity, how to exercise his faith, and he walked in obedience. His journey was so raw, but it was so rewarding. He was a man who understood that you can trust God even if you don't understand what the next step is really going to look like. I like what Rick Warren says in his book, Purpose Driven Life. He talks about obedience, and he uses these words. Listen to them. He said, God doesn't owe you, God doesn't owe me, an explanation or reason for everything he asks you to do. Understanding can wait, but obedience can't. Instant obedience will teach you more about God than a lifetime of Bible discussions. In fact, you will never understand some commands until you obey them first. Obedience unlocks understanding. Obedience is what gave Joseph the privilege of becoming the earthly father to this young boy named Jesus who would be Emmanuel, God, with us. What a beautiful reminder this Christmas season that when you walk in obedience, the blessing of God is just showered upon us. So in all of this narrative, when I was reading through it, I got thinking about what's going to happen over the next four or five days together. We'll gather on Christmas Eve. We're going to sing some Christmas carols, and it's a beautiful service to come to. And some of the carols that we'll sing have specific, special meaning for us. But there's one Christmas carol that I got thinking about when it relates to this story. 
And it's the little carol called, O Little Town of Bethlehem. And again, we, we kind of put it into that moment of sentimentality. It's just a wonderful little safe place in this Judean suburb outside of Jerusalem. But I wonder what it was like for Joseph as he's leading Mary, knowing that any moment she's about to give birth. And there on the horizon, he sees Bethlehem. And he's got the memory of an angel speaking to him. He's got the story that Mary has shared. He's got all of these incredible experiences that are starting to piece together. And now he looks down, and there's Bethlehem. And Joseph knows this child's about to be born, and this is no ordinary child. And Bethlehem has no idea what God is about to do right within its streets. That Jesus, God with us, the Word will become flesh. God will save His people from their sins. And as He walks through the dusty streets and they knock on the doors looking for a place to stay, and people are saying there's no room in the inn, I wonder if He was tempted to go, do you understand who this child will be? Talk about a trump card. Emmanuel would like a place to stay. And door to door, until just a stable is provided as a place for the birth of the Christ child. And yet this man was faithful and walked it through to the end, obediently. And there he watches as Christ dwells with man. Amazing. So this morning I want to invite you to sing, O Little Town of Bethlehem, with me. But sing it through the understanding of Joseph. Sing it in a way that is not filled with just the beautiful Christmas reminder that we have, but sing it in first century Palestine. God is coming to our neighborhood. Would you stand with me in this room? Stand with me in the other venues this morning. Worship team is going to come and lead us. And as you sing, maybe for you today, just maybe today is the day that you need to say, God, come and be my Emmanuel. Be God with me and lead me.